Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. nature nerds it's 2022 here we are back with some new episodes we had a nice break we did i feel like you had a really busy break and i torpored for two weeks straight pretty much i mean it's good that's what you're supposed to do hope you guys had an amazing holiday that you spent it with friends and family we are gonna bring a new story and a new science news to you today yes um but also over the holidays thanks for everybody's support for us taking a little break And thanks for all the well wishes, comments, people have been sharing stories and Mm -hmm. posts and reels and we love it. Are you ready for some science news, Jen? I'm so ready. So today's science news is like a little bit sad. Yours tend to be. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, But I'm sure everybody has heard that Edward O. Wilson passed away recently at the age of 92. Wow. But if you're not familiar with Edward O. Wilson, Edward Osborne Wilson, mm-hmm. he was born June 10th, 1929. Oh, a Gemini. Birmingham, Alabama. You know, one of the interesting things about his, I guess, introduction to nature was but he, when he was a young boy, he spent a lot of time in Pensacola, Florida, which I also spent a lot of time in Pensacola, Florida growing up. But he saw a jellyfish. Uh, just the idea of the, like, how did the jellyfish come to be, functioned and all that. It was like mind blowing to him. He wanted to know everything he could about this jellyfish. And so... Uh, that was kind of his introduction to natural history and biology. And I thought that was kind of a neat, that neat cool. little thing. He was married in 1955 to Irene, his wife, Irene, I guess, Irene Wilson. And you were saying that you saw that she died earlier this year. She died in August. In August of a few 2021. months ago, really. Yeah. I mean, that is very sad. They've been together for so long. Mm-hmm. And when they get to that age, once one goes, it doesn't usually take long. Oh, there's a whole story there that we don't know anything about. And that's totally okay. We don't need to know. I want to know everything. I just want to know that they were happy. But he seemed like a really cool guy. And he's a Gemini, so. He is, well, was the university research professor emeritus at Harvard. But he is also known as basically the Darwin for the modern day. He had a very long career. He was a Pulitzer Prize winning author. Mm -hmm. He has many books out. One of which I know we have talked about at least once on here, Diversity of Life. Which we both have. Such a great like ecology book. But he had a fascination with ants and insects, but specifically ants. And I think at one point someone asked him, um, like, what is it about ants? Like, why ants? And he was like, well, because they're everywhere. You can study them anywhere. They're all over the place. Right. And they have, they're super interesting. He looked at the communication between ants and like bees and, and insects and Um, came up with something called sociobiology in like the 70s, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I was, I didn't know this about him, but he was giving a presentation one time about sociobiology in like 74, 1974, I think, or I might have the year wrong. There, There was a protest about the idea of sociobiology. <laughs> and these people came on stage and this woman poured ice cold water over his head <gasps> before his presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they held up signs and they were like mocking him a little bit, protesting science. Actually, I got most of this information from eowilsonfoundation.org. This incident happened. This woman pours ice cold water over him. Mm-hmm. He sees everything that goes on. They finish, you know, they get like shuffled off by security or something like that. And he just gives his presentation. He's like, all right, well, that was interesting. Like, he doesn't get angry about it. Yeah. I like how he thought of it as a moment in history, that he might have been the first scientist to be assaulted for his scientific beliefs in some way. Especially for biology or, I mean, I could see different sciences, but biology or ecology, it it doesn't tend to ruffle too many feathers. (laughs) No pun intended. But I'm... He also worked on the theory of island biogeography, which I know that we have talked about. He actually wrote a book with uh, Robert MacArthur, who was of Princeton University, and they wrote the book in 1967 called The Theory of Island Biogeography, which is something that I'm pretty sure everybody who's in ecology has to read. And you remember before I recommended, and I know this wasn't his book, but the, The Song of the Dodo? 
Oh, yeah. Which is Island Biogeography in an Age of Extinctions mm -hmm. by David Quammen. I'm pretty sure he references him a lot in that. It's a great book, by the yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, if you get a chance, I definitely think reading, there's The Diversity of Life in 1992, which is really good. Biophilia, which I think you mentioned from 1984. Oh, yeah. That's right. We yeah. talked about that. Yes. Biophilia is like yeah. the word about loving nature, right? Yes. Yeah. We're all a bunch of biophiliacs, <laughs> aka exactly. nature nerds. Well, thanks, Megan. That was... That was sad, but timely uh, yeah. because it just happened a few days ago. And mm -hmm. um, we did have some people send it to us as well. Another not so great thing about 2021, but a lot of good things about 2021. But I will say that Edward O. Wilson, mm -hmm. like his contribution to science and to literature, I feel like that's something to be celebrated. It should be. And 92. Yeah, that should be celebrated. Well, I have a story for us today to start I us out in this a new year. I like how you asked me earlier, you're like, do you know what I'm going to talk about? And I was like, absolutely. I don't know what you're going to talk because about. Because sometimes you cheat and you check. I only do that one time. I'm never going to live it down. All the time. One time. <laughs> all the time. 70% <laughs> of the time, all the time. <laughs> so that's like two Anchorman references in one day. I don't that's know if true. the other one landed on this or if it was on our science news. So Jen, I am really excited for your first story of 2022, or as we like to refer to it, 2022. Yeah, you should be excited. It's an awesome story. I was just hanging out with my husband. He likes to watch YouTube whatever's mm -hmm. news a lot. Sometimes he likes to sit and watch video after video of people in Florida going out in and out of places on their boats and like crashing. What? Or barely making it. It's a thing. Like fail videos, but it's people on like, their boats. Yeah, and he's just like shaking his head knowingly. Like He's like, those poor people don't even know. Oh, he should have taken it that way. You should never go over the swells like that. Like all the side notes. Right. It's great. He's, anyway. It's, so, it's like fail videos for Islander guys. Yeah. We were watching those where I was, he was watching them and I was just mm. flitting around cleaning and doing whatever. Then this video came on, which was a story out of Tonga. And it was super interesting. So I am going to talk about it today. The only thing I remember about Tonga was that while we were in Peace Corps, oh, yes, a, a girl, a woman who was a Peace Corps in Tonga ha, was attacked by a shark. Yeah. And yeah, died, and right? Died. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was soon after we saw open water. I'm going to talk about Tonga in a very general fashion because I have never been there. I don't know anybody from there personally. And yeah. I feel like whatever I could find online wouldn't even touch the surface. I'm just going to give some real general information for just people who don't know anything like mm -hmm. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, right? So Tonga is officially named in, in English, the Kingdom of Tonga. They have their own name in their own language, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to attempt it. There's a lot of words that I'm going to try. It sounds very Hawaiian because they are Polynesian. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do my best saying it right. There's a lot of like apostrophes breaking oh. up, breaking up the words. It reminds me of Hawaiian sounding, but when you hear somebody speaking it, it doesn't really sound like it, but it's a Polynesian kingdom. There's more than... And this is like different sources have different numbers, so I get it. But there's they say there's more than 170 islands. And it is 21 degrees south of the equator. And of those 170 plus islands, only 36 are inhabited. And I get that. Same thing in the outer islands of where we were. There's a lot of islands. In one atoll, there's like, you know, almost 40 islands, but only four of them people live on. As of 2021, Tonga had a population of 104, 494,000, so almost 105,000. That's a lot. What is Guam? Like we're 200,000, 160,000? <laughs> I am definitely the person to never ask about population <laughs> numbers. Why? I don't know what it is. I find is. it fascinating. I have the hardest time remembering, even being able to visualize in my brain the number of people. It's like two things that I should never be asked in a court of law. One is <laughs> population count of something right. that I haven't counted myself or uh, distance. How far something is from where you're standing? Yeah. Would you say you're 50 yards away from whatever? I'd be like, oh, I, Jesus. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't think I could do that. Population of Guam is 168,000. Oh, okay. So that, okay. A little bit less than Guam. Right. But Guam, cool. that's for one island. Right. Right. And this and is, spread is spread out, out over 36 islands. 70% of those people of that population mm -hmm. are on the main island, which is Tonga Tapu. I'm gonna just... That was great. I, I might screw this up, but just hang with me. 
And for everybody who is from Tonga, I apologize, but I'm going to do my best. The country stretches from north to south, um, 500 miles. And, I, and I'm sure it's kind of like Micronesia, like if you jam it all into like all the land together, it's like the size of what Rhode Island, right. but yeah. it's spread out <laughs> over the size of the US. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's surrounded by Fiji and Wallace and Futuna. Which is, I guess, this says France. I don't know if that's like a French territory type thing. Right. To the northwest, Samoa to the northeast, New Caledonia and Vanuatu to the west. Niue is to the east. And New Zealand to the southwest. Tonga is about 1,100 miles from New Zealand's northern island. So it's pretty close to New Zealand. They first thought that it was inhabited about 2,500 years ago. And I mean, this is based on pottery. And that's during the Lapita civilization, which is the prehistoric Austronesian people. And they apparently left bits and pieces of pottery and things on a bunch of Pacific islands that range from 1600 BCE to about 500 BCE. Tonga's Polynesian settlers gradually evolved over time their own ethnic identity um, and language and culture among themselves and it looks to be very beautiful and they seem like an awesome people from about 1900 to 1970 they were under british protected status the uk would look after like their foreign affairs under a treaty of friendship Mm. tonga never like fully relinquished their sovereignty fully oh they were like we'll think about it and they're like, but we're friends. It's a treaty of friendship. And they're like, mm, I guess we're friends, but I'm still going to think about it. They saw what happened to Hawaii and they were like, right. Nah. So they say in 2010 that Tonga took a decisive step away from its traditional monarchy towards becoming a fully functioning constitutional monarchy. And they're the only ones. They run themselves and they have a monarchy left in the Pacific. They became known in the West as the Friendly Islands. Because I guess they, when Captain James Cook was there in 1773. Mm, James Cook. Yeah. That guy. That guy. I, we should do a whole whole episode. Because that thing is wild. I mean, the whole story. It's like, I'm going to take your king. Watch this. And they're like, well, we're just going to murder you. (laughs) And the king was like, what's happening? Who's this guy? (laughs) So funny. Anyway, I mean, funny, not funny. Right. Yeah. Colonizers. (laughs) So he actually showed up when James Cook showed up. He was um, there was a festival like one of their festivals happening. Mm -hmm. They say it's the donation of the first fruits for the Tui Tonga which is the island's monarch, right? Mm-hmm. So they're having this big celebration and he shows up. He's like, yay. And they're like, yay, we're doing a thing with fruits. And he was like, you guys are so nice. But according to this other writer, the political leaders in Tonga were actually wanting going to kill him, but they didn't go through with it because they couldn't agree on their, like how they wanted to kill him. The method. So, yeah. So they didn't do it. Just, it's like, it's like the game of Clue. <laughs> Everybody brings a different, you know, it's like, like this guy's the got candle, a sledgehammer. Candlestick. And the, yeah. The they probably didn't the revolver. have a, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, but but like Tongan. Right. So, like a coconut. A spear. Yeah. Whatever. Exactly. A boulder. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, funny. you guys are so nice. And they're just like, have knives behind, like their machetes. They're and like, they're like, yes, we are. We are just sharpening nice. their machetes. They're like, it's for the fruit. It's like fruit ninja. <laughs> there is right now, as we speak, an active volcano erupting on one oh. of the islands and i can't figure it out because i think it's like an under like it's under the water mm-hmm. a little bit i read this in the rnz there was an article that says the island of hunga Ha'apai, i think and they said it had been erupting for over a week oh it's already made that island grow in size this has been going on with this same volcano for a while it erupted in 20 like 14 15 mm-hmm. and then before that in 2009 2015 when they talked to the government officials about it they say that it had formed a new island of more than a kilometer long it joined to the existing island and then it became a home for like wildlife oh fun like plants and birds pioneer species that's right they're like what is this it's a little it's still a little warm it's a little toasty it's toasty but we'll just you know therapeutic it's like a spa so i'm going to talk about an island called atta island no one lives there it's mm-hmm. uninhabited. Um, it's way in the farthest south end of the, the Tonga Archipelago, about 99 miles south-southwest of Tonga Tapu. So according to the BirdLife International, Ata is described as a volcanic island that rises, it has like two peaks that are about 200 to 300 feet high. There's an ornithologist, Dieter Rink, Rinke. He visited the island in April of 1990 and he said that it's comprised of a plateau bordered by two mountains in the west and there's two lower peaks in the 
east, almost completely surrounded by steep cliffs between 60 to 100 meters high. And there's a single landing place on the short sand beach on the northwest coast. The plateau is heavily forested, but vegetation on the cliffs is sparse. The island is uninhabited and is very rarely visited by people today. However, it was once inhabited by a population which moved to EUA, Ewa? Sure, yeah. Ewa or Ewa in the 1860s. And you can see evidence of the people that used to live there because there's like different crops and fruit trees that wouldn't be there unless somebody planted them. Atta has some of the largest seabird colonies in Tonga, especially Mm -hmm. the wedge-tailed shearwaters, mast, red-footed, and brown boobies. Hey. They're so cute. We love boobies. I just made a weird. <laughs> we, we love boobies. <laughs> we do love boobies. The birds. Yeah. So childish. And they believe that the number there is over 50,000 birds. Oh, wow. A bunch of pears, like all the different species, just crazy. They just love it there. They're just pooing all over the place there. So much shit. There's so much shit. I, I can <laughs> smell it from here. This same guy in 1986 suggested that this place was so good. He named this place and a couple of other islands that were uninhabited forested predator free um and he said that they're they're stocked with threatened uh, flora and fauna and it would be a good place to as refuge islands for other endangered species for the recovery of other species which we've talked about that here because guam is just covered in snakes so littered (laughs) it's just snakes i mean there's just snakes hanging off of us right now while we're talking basically medusa we're swimming in snakes over here I thought it would be kind of fun because, you know, we like to talk about A species. Mm-hmm. This isn't A species that's specifically on this island, but I just thought it'd be fun to talk about that there is an endemic and endangered species on Tonga mm-hmm. known as the Tongan megapode. Oh, a megapode. Megapodius pritchardi. So in one thing, somebody said it was the official bird of the um, Polynesian Oceanic Kingdom of Tonga. Oh. But then somebody else said it was, they're like, nah, it's this other bird, but who knows? What right. do I know? Somebody from Tonga, let me know. They're also known as the Polynesian megapode. The Tonga megapode is the only remaining species of megapode um, out of four or five species that were present on the islands in pre-human times. And they've seen that through fossil records. So right now, that's the only one that is surviving in Polynesia. So they say it used to be, of course, more widespread and across most of Tonga, Samoa, and Niue. What caused all the extinctions and declines was the arrival of humans and other predators like introduced species like cats, pigs. Also, people will eat the eggs. They are now only found on this island called Niuafo, N-I-U-A-F-O, apostrophe O-U. Niuafo O-U. There you go. Basically, because there's only a few people that live there, it's pretty remote. It's the only megapode to survive human arrival in Western Polynesia because the megapode nesting grounds were carefully controlled by the ruling chief, thus assuring the continued survival of this population. Refuge. That's one thing I really learned in the islands is that they really know how to manage their resources. Right. If you go back in time. So its natural habitat are these tropical moist lowland forests. Like all megapodes, they don't incubate their eggs by sitting on them they bury them in these warm volcanic sands and soil that allows them to develop on islands in former parts of its range without volcanoes it's presumably created mounds of like rotting vegetation composting so it gets warm and the young birds as soon as they're born i thought this was wild so they don't have what is it an egg tooth oh where they can like best bust out of the egg they use their claws and as soon as they come out they can fly they can like kill stuff and eat it they can run around. They're like fully functioning. Their eyes are open. What? Yeah. They're, they have a small head, big body, yeah, but they're yeah. kind of like chickeny. So it's in a lot of areas, even though they're supposed to be protected, that people still eat the eggs. They were able to translocate eggs to this other island. It says late is the name of the island, L-A-T-E, but I'm sure it's like... Latte. Latte, but it sounds weird to me. And there's another island, um, Fonuale. They were able to translocate eggs and they have 350 to 500 birds there now. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And you know what we already talked about. We have our Micronesian megapode here in the Marianas. It's extinct on Guam and Rhoda. This estimate, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but they say 2,000 to 2,500 individuals remain. But who knows? Because mm. they are kind of hard to find. Little info about megapodes right there. That was exciting. Um, so back to the island of Atta. There was an archaeologist who spent uh, a few weeks there in 1977, and he kind of climbed all over the place. This guy, Athol Anderson. He's probably got his 1977, like, Columbia clothes on. Did you say Ethel Anderson? A-T-H-O-L-L. Oh. Athol. Athol. Athol? It's like 
The male version of Ethel. <laughs> but he's like, I'm going to crawl all over this island and I'm going to check it out. He's an archaeologist. That's sure, what they sure, do. Sure. Yeah. According to him, it had been abandoned for over a century. He saw remnants of like stone walls and other evidence of human inhabitants. And he did the radiocarbon dating. It's old nice. school. And he was like, this dates back to the 15 to 1600s. And then there was another archaeological survey that was conducted in 2001. They're like, back off with your old school radiocarbon dating BS. Mm-hmm. We've got some new technology now. And they found that they thought it went back to 400 BC. Crazy, right? Yeah. It was like a type of pottery they found that dated back that far. According to local tradition, and this is something I read, so I have no idea if they say there was a diviner, shaman type person that discovered Atta, but they say the first Tongans to live there were this couple and they went there and they eloped and they were like high ranking royalty. It's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet. So the family of the girl, mm-hmm. they didn't like that guy. So that's why they ran away mm-hmm. to elope there. And when they arrived and they say this was like in the early 1700s, there was an aboriginal inhabitants there already. And they say that they were like scared the girl. And so the guy got mad and he drove them all into this cave and then closed off the cave and started a fire and it suffocated what? and killed all the inhabitants what? that were there. Yeah, that's what it says. Well, see, she should have listened to her family. That, yeah, that is bad news. That is some bad news right there. And so they say that then after that, they like, okay, we got rid of these crazy people. This is our island now. And they started bringing in other like high status people or any like exiles, like people who were like, we hate it over here. Did it just become like, like Party it. Island? It was like Party Island. They just turned up the base, let the party down. So they say the first Europeans were there in 1643. Abel Tasman, T-A-S-M-A-N, he was Dutch. He saw all these birds and he's like, this place is great. And he named it something that means arrowtail in Dutch is like, <laughs> wow your dutch is really P- good p-i-j-l like how do you even say that pigil pigil start s-t-a-a-r-t start <laughs> i know we need like a scandinavian person we need a lot of things and he was just basically naming it after one of the tropic birds sure, sure, sure. he's like pigil start look at the beautiful pigil start but i guess it was real windy and he didn't see any canoes or any people coming out to welcome him so i think back then they're like if nobody comes out and they're like hey come on let's like you guys they're like come maybe we won't stop we there. won't stop there because this is like arrows are gonna start flying Hmm. It's just going to be just like Sentinel Island. Sentinel Island. <laughs> yep. So he kept going. One thing he did note from his position looking towards the northeast, the shape of the island resembled to him the breasts of a woman. Oh. Like, oh. bro, you've been on that ship for too damn long. You know, that just reminds me take of... Take it easy over there. The island of Kosrai. Because it is a lady, a sleeping lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are boobies. Yeah. On that island as well. Birds oh. and boobies. Birds and boobies. So then, of course, there was the James Cook during his second voyage in 1773. That guy. I don't think he got out there, but he also called it P-L-I-S-T-A-R-D, Plistard. Like a similar name as that first guy? Yeah. Because he could, he didn't know how to pronounce the J-L together as well. He's like, I know. I'm just going to say Plistard. He's like, there you go. That's Plistard. because it's like so remote the people that were there self-governed and they said that in 1857 they said its population was 150 i think it was more than that actually it is one of the islands in tonga to have been affected by the peruvian slave trade of the three it suffered the most and i'm gonna talk about that this is just a history of but it's freaking interesting okay so 1862 the peruvian government they were like we have all this guano in these Chincha Islands. Guano is like great fertilizer. Let's get some people to come over and work for us. Collect all this guano. I never knew guano was like a thing, but it's a thing. So they decided they were going to send some ships out to go over the out in the Pacific and find people willing to work. Migrants. Let's yeah. bring some people in. They're going to work. It's, they're going to work for cheap, probably. Instead, it looks like it switched to more of like a kidnapping tactic. Mm. And I don't think that was the Peruvian government's, that wasn't their order, like what they asked for, but that happened. It's like the government said to a captain of a ship, hey, bring us 300 people. We'll give you this much money. And he's yeah. like, cool, 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 cool. Mm-hmm. He gets to the first island. He's like, all right, here's my sign up sheet. He's there for like a week. No one signs up. And he's like, well, it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make these, I gotta make this quota. It's all about quotas. Yeah. In June of 1863, they say now, and so that's why I say that number was low. There's about 350 people living on Ada. 
in a village called Kolomale. And this is where they can still see remnants of that village. There was this jackass. His name was Thomas James McGrath. I'm going to show you a picture. He looks like Satan himself. He has a really angry face. He's just... He's like been squinting at the sea for too long. Being a horrible human. He had a whaler boat called Grecian, G-R-E-C-I-A-N. I guess he was a whaler because he's also a shitbag that kills whales. Perfect. And he decided that maybe slave trading was more profitable. He went to Atta and he was like, hey guys, I have like, you want to make some money? We have all this money. So bring up all the things you want to trade or get and come on board. I'll get into it more. But basically, they locked them onto the boat, 144 people, and they never returned. Men, women, children. So in 1929, there was this anthropologist, Edward Winslow Gifford. He interviewed two people from there that were school children at the time that they were stolen. They said the mayor of Atta, like their chief or mayor or whatever, mm-hmm. they say Paul, but I, that's in quotes. That might have been another bit. It's v- like an alias. Vehi, yeah. Vehi, V-E-H-I. Well, he went aboard. He arranged the kidnapping. And when he came back, he was like, hey, everybody, you know, get your best looking man, get your whatever you want to sell, your best looking people, your strongest people and go over there on the ship. And that's when they all got trapped. So then after he left there, this jackass went to another island called Lao. Wasn't successful getting anybody there. Then he went to another island in Tonga. Oh, I think it's the one where they put the megapodes. Oh. Neo Fao. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But he took about 30 people from there. They went to this other one, this Uiha. That was said to be the third, but the islanders had actually been able to reverse roles and they say they ambushed a slaver margarita instead. I'm not sure what happened, but it seems like it didn't work out. So he was able to get those 100 and 44 people and then another 30 people and they actually never made it to peru somewhere that he met another slaver but he gave them to this other one because he didn't have the license the labor license from peru because at that time abraham lincoln was president and some other foreign powers were like we're not doing slavery like what's going on you can't do that and the peruvian government was like oh hell yeah we're not doing that so they turned them away and canceled all their permits and everything they were not allowed to be there with all their slaves, their, you know, stolen people. So the Peruvian government apparently chartered some ships and they're like, we're going to take you home. But Mm -hmm. by that time, and this was in October of 1863, a lot of them had died from catching different diseases. And since their license were revoked, I don't know, they ended up taking them to outside of Costa Rica to this place, Coco's Island, and just like leaving them there. They got infected with smallpox. A bunch of them died. Finally, in like a month later, the Peruvian warship called Tumbes came to pick them up, but there were only 38 people left. 38 out of 174. They said they took him back to another port in Peru and were just like, good luck. And they just went out to live their lives, I guess. So now there's like a bunch of random people in Peru who have a Tongan... Tong- mm-hmm heritage yeah and they don't even know because they were stolen apparently mcgrath the guy who stole him in the first place the was angry a, face. yeah the angry face guy was arrested in new zealand for tax evasion and at the end of november of 1863 they charged him with basically stealing a ship and he was spent some time in jail but he actually never paid for the crimes against these people well there was an article in december 14 2016 in the otago daily times and it's talking about this guy dr scott hamilton he had come across like all this information and he was like what is like what is this you know he's a new zealander and new zealand has like kind of escaped a lot of the like slave trade stuff but mm-hmm. it's actually he started kind of digging and found out that they were heavily involved in all this he actually found an article that was written about captain Thomas McGrath, and it was on the front page of this Invercargill Times, December 14th, 1863. It said, This we learned from a seaman, John Turner, now in this port, who, along with eight others, left the vessel in which he shipped on the understanding that she was going on a whaling voyage. Mm -hmm. And soon as they learned that it was the purpose of the captain to take part in the Peruvian slave trade, And they said, instead of directing his attention to whaling, the captain proceeded to the South Sea Islands. On 17th of May, he proposed to the crew that they should enter upon the slave trade um, as being more profitable. This story, which first appeared in the Melbourne Age at the end of November, was basically a devastating blow to Captain McGrath. 
because he had just been arrested for the tax evasion, right? This is all told by this historian, Dr. Scott Hamilton. And he said that this article's significance endured because it drew attention to the New Zealand's involvement in the slave trade, known as blackbirding, as well as setting the record straight for people who carried this shame for a bunch of generations. So he also wanted to get back to understanding because it seemed like the people from Ada that originally came or that were related to that mayor who they say sold them sold them yeah yeah. it wasn't true and he wanted to set the record straight he published this book called the stolen island searching for ada which you know went into his research and he said that mcgrath almost haunted me he said it was sort of satanic figure who in some ways took over the book creepy he said the profitable nature of the infamous practice of kidnapping the natives of the south sea islands and carrying slaves to peru has at length proven sufficiently tempting to to induce a British subject, an Irishman, sailing from an Australian colony of Tasmania, to dare the dangers associated with traffic. He published this book in November 2016, and he talks a little bit about McGrath. He said he was the son of a British deportee, and he was himself deported to Tasmania. So... Penal colony. Yeah. Sorry, Australians. Sorry, Australia. But he, so he was deported to Tasmania when he was 16. They were like, you know, he knows what it feels like to be pulled away from his family and sent somewhere sure. else. But yet he did this to people. I think there are some people in the world who want to drag everybody down with them. They want you to feel as bad as they do or like something. Mm-hmm. They were hurt and they want to inflict more hurt on yeah. people. I'm going to read a quick excerpt that from his book about McGrath when he went to, because it's just really chilling, about when he went to Atta for the first time. McGrath and his crewmates could see waves falling on the stones of Atta's little beach and boulders stacked at each end of the beach and cliffs that separated the beach from Atta's plateau. Dozens of caves and open cliffs. There were long and narrow like the mouths of whales. People appeared on the cliffs and began to descend them. Men and women and children stepped through shrubs and slid over rocks on their way down to the beach. An American whaler who had visited Atta in 1840 had been impressed by the ease in which the locals navigated their cliffs. In the account of Atta, he published in Massachusetts newspaper, the Daily Mercury, he described how islanders would leap from rock to rock and slide down loamy steeps, even while they carried loads on their shoulders. It was though each had a pair of wings. The Atans hurried through the water towards the Grecians, some of them having paddled canoes. Many would have swum. Even in the islands, small children were strong swimmers. The elders had taught them about the rhythm of the sea that broke against the beaches. It would throw two or three big waves at the stones in quick succession and then level out for a few seconds before offering a new set of waves. Atten would climb onto the boulders at the edge of their beach, wait for the sea to briefly calm, then dive under the water and swim beyond the surf line. Altogether, at least 144 men, women, and children boarded the Grecian to trade with Thomas McGrath. They would have outnumbered the ship's crew by almost 10 to 1. Many probably arrived with trade goods, baskets of yam or suckling pigs or chickens dripping under their arms. McGrath told them that before they traded with him, they should have something to eat. The Grecian's cook, a man named John Bryan, had prepared a feast and it waited for them below deck. McGrath's crew opened several heavy trap doors and the islanders descended steep and narrow staircases to the ship's hold. The Athens were soon busy with their meals though we don't know what they ate. With the Athens below deck and distracted by their meals, McGrath and his crew went to work. They pulled down and locked the trapdoors on the deck. The Athens heard the trapdoor slam down and the lock slam shut. They leaped up from their meals. The daylight that had been falling through the hatches had gone and the islanders stumbled and pushed against each other as they rushed the dark steps that ended at locked doors. It's just crazy. They smashed their fists against their shoulders, their heads against the wood, iron of the doors, and against the walls of the floor of the Grecian's hold. They shouted, they cried, they prayed. They heard the anchor of the Grecian splash out of the sea and slide up the side of the ship. McGrath then sailed west and north trying to kidnap more people. The ship's cook, Mr. Bryan, demanded to be allowed to leave. He then traveled to Samoa where he gave Mr. Turner his eyewitness account. Oh, wow. And that's how they had that article. So, well, also is that probably only like old people and small kids were left on the island. Yeah. I'm sure people were excited because up to that point, there had never been that kind of like an evil ship. It seemed like everybody else had been pretty cool. A bunch of them were held in these like warehouses at the port in Peru. And it wasn't just them. There were other slaves that were brought in from other places because they say there were like 300 some. And there was an outbreak of smallpox. 
So it says the slave traders took 429 Pacific Islanders north and dumped them on that the island, the Cocos Island, uh, by Costa Rica. They took the rest of the 38 survivors t- to Peru, let them go, and they say that's where they disappeared from history. And so it's just like a mystery now, like what happened to them. I don't know if I mentioned this already. The king of Tonga, you mm-hmm. know, found out what happened and he sent canoes out and took the rest of those people and was like, you guys can't stay there. It's not safe. You know, there's only like everybody got stolen, like you can't be there. So he brought them back to the island of Ewa. So that's where those people had been. And they say that it had like this really bad effect on those people because they thought that they were the product of a shameful thing. Right. And so after he got all this information together... And he put this article together and made a bunch of copies and just like passed them out to everybody. He said, traditionally, it was a bad thing to be part of this island, this Ata Island. The Vihi family, whose ancestor was the leader of the community, he was blamed for conspiring with the slavers. But after he got all this information, they realized that that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. They were stolen. They were kidnapped. That didn't happen. It just changed everybody's thinking. They're like, oh, shit. That's that was wrong. And now they have pride in being from there. And that is the story of these poor people being stolen and That's never, awful. never getting back. So now I'm going to get to the actual story, which is <laughs> not that long. So don't worry. Yeah, yeah. And this is the story I heard. We watched on YouTube. And this is going back to 1965. There were these six Tongan boys and they were all from natives of one of the islands called Ha'afeva, H-A apostrophe A-F-E-V-A. They ranged from ages 13 to 17. Sione Fataua, he's 17. Steven Tavita Fatai, Latu, he was 17. David, <laughs> and I'm using like air quotes because right, it's yeah. not really. David Tavita Fafita Sialoa, he was 15. Kolo, 17. Mano was 16. And Luke was 16. So there's six boys. And one day they were like, let's run away. Cool. So because, well, you know, the kids. Yeah, sure. Right, right, right. There was this one article, I think in 2020, it's from The Guardian. Um, and so I'm getting a lot of the information from that, but also from Wikipedia and some other articles. At this point, they were going to this really strict Catholic school, boarding school. Mm. And they're like, this sucks. We hate it. This is boring. I'm bored. I'm bored. I want to leave. Let's go do something. And so they're like, I have a really good idea. Mm-hmm. One of them was like, let's get a boat. Let's just like freaking go to Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> it's only like 500 miles away. It's fine. Or maybe we'll end Fiji. up in New Zealand. That's like 1100 miles away. They're like, any place is better than here. This place sucks. They're yeah. making us wear all these clothes and I don't want to, I just want to wear like my, you know, shorts and like no shoes because island boys. They're like, wait a second. We don't have a boat. There's a boat over there. I mean, it's not our boat, but I'm sure they won't mind if we just borrow it. I mean, we're just going to go and a come right back. A trip to Fiji. No one's going to mind. Yeah. Especially the owner of the boat. So they're like borrowing air quotes from this fisherman because they didn't like him. They thought he was an asshole. Nice. They're like, he's a jackass. Let's steal his boat. Because <laughs> we don't like him anyway because he's mean to us. They took his boat. Um, They didn't really prepare because they're kids. Sure. I only ran away once. It was to the <laughs> end of my driveway. I wasn't allowed to cross the road. So my mom made cookies and I went back home. But my brother yeah. packed his red rider wagon. Yeah. His red flyer, whatever it was called. Yeah. Uh, radio flyer. And he had a backpack with money and snacks and his favorite stuffed animal that's pretty smart and clothing wow and he was like three and i let him walk down the driveway and then down the street he he made it like pretty far before my mom was like where's your brother and i was like he left i got in so much trouble for that but i ran away and i used to have this whole like a trunk or something similar to that um of like dress up clothes Mm -hmm. because i always like to dress up and play pretend yeah yeah and i packed those clothes it was like some crazy sexy robe <laughs> like, that i got from like my grandma it's or like my a mom silk robe it was silky with like lace oh god i was like this is comfortable <laughs> like and it's pretty this is gonna look really nice <laughs> once i get to my hotel <laughs> i will lounge around in this on my beachfront hotel where i'm running away to <laughs> well anyway no these guys i mean they took some stuff they took some bananas some coconuts they did take a little gas burner oh okay you know, there so you know. some supplies. I mean, they weren't totally, but they didn't take like a map or a compass. No one saw them leaving at all because they left in like the middle of the night. The seas were calm. They're like, this is great. Cool. And the boat had a sail on it, right? The problem is they all fell asleep. And then when they woke up a little bit later, 
there was like water crashing over their heads. It was dark. So they hoisted up the sail and the wind just shredded it really quickly. The next was their rudder broke. Oh, God. And so once all that happened and they were just like kind of effed. So they floated around for eight days. What? No food. No water. They did try to catch some fish. Um, They were able to collect some rainwater and some like of their coconut shells. And so they had little sips of water. So basically on the eighth day, they saw this tiny island. It was not the tropical paradise they were hoping for, but they're like... It doesn't matter. It's just like a big rock. And it's the kind where you like crash onto it, right? Because we were reading, like, yeah. I was telling you guys It's just how. like cliffs everywhere except for like cliffs, one little spot. And they have, you have, they have to count the waves and then jump in, right? So oh, it's yeah. not like great. But they're like, we got to get off this boat, right? Because we're yeah. going to die. We're going to die out here. You're going <laughs> to die out there, boys. Get off the damn boat. <laughs> so see there. By the time they arrived, they basically like got to work. There was fruit trees, right? They were like, people have lived here. They found chickens. They caught birds because there's like 50,000 birds. Mm -hmm. Like just you just can grab them out of the sky and throw them on a fire. None of them had ever really made a fire, but they knew how to. Like they had been taught. Right. right? Because they've watched their many family members, I'm sure, at some point. Yes, they'd been taught that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So they split up chores. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we're going to make this garden. They hollowed out some tree trunks to make rainwater. They actually made their own gym, like made weights, like deadlifting. Such boys. Like, do you even lift? You know, you guys, we got to stay in shape while we're out here. <laughs> got to pump some iron. I need to work on my thighs. I got like thighs. <laughs> like your shins, like yeah. little skinny legs. They made a badminton court. What? They made chicken pens because they found chickens. Smart. Which I'd be all over that. I'd be like, you guys just leave me. I'm going to be out here with the checkout. <laughs> um, they, once they got their fire going, they never left it. You know, yeah. like somebody always kept it going. Smart. And they also found like an old, old knife blade. Or they made a knife blade. I don't know. Mm-hmm. They found some piece of something. So they said the whole time we were hoping somebody would like find us because we were missing and that a boat would come by. But it just didn't happen. They just ended up hanging out on the island for 15 months. We don't want to go to school anyway. They're like this We have a gym. Better than boarding school. We're playing badminton. I wonder, I mean, I'm sure you're going to tell us about it, but the guy that whose boat they stole, I wonder if he was just like, got the insurance money and got a new boat. He was like, whatever. You're going to hear about him in the end. I can't even wait. Oh, and there was taro on the island from the people who lived there before. Never mind. They're just staying there. They should just stay. There was taro and chickens. What more do you need? Nothing. There's an interview with that Sione from 2020. There's been a lot coming out on this in the last year or since 2020. But he was like, you know, we were so happy. We were able to eat bananas, eggs. There were chickens everywhere. We were like, fine. They ate whatever they wanted. There was a lot of food. We went hunting every day. And he said that friendship and faith kept us from feeling sad. Although, especially the youngest one at the time really missed Mm -hmm. his parents. They made a promise to God that if we were spared... They'd work for him the rest of their life. They were all very religious. And they did. Apparently, they stayed true to that promise. He said, there were six of us. We were young boys. We were friends coming from the same school. We prayed every day and night and asked God to help us and keep us alive. And we'd hope one day we'd be back. They settled disputes by just talking through it. And uh, that guy actually acted as a mediator. Because a lot of times there's always like one person that can be like... The yeah. mediator. Yeah. I feel like I might have been that in Peace Corps. For sure. Yeah. I was like, listen, guys. I was the problem avoidance. <laughs> I was like, Jen will take care of that. Okay. <laughs> I'll be over here. I got to go home. Bye. I'm going to go chew some beetle nuts. So, and that's what he said. He said, we didn't fight. That's how we stayed alive. We trusted God. It was pretty. I mean, it's kind of cool that they all yeah, had yeah. that like shared belief. Right. And, and also they're islanders. They like know how to do stuff. All the things. Well, and the fact that it didn't turn into like a Lord of the Fly situation. I'm going to bring that up. Just hold on to that. It's so weird that you, because you, you didn't see this article, right? No. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, they worked together. They, they had a schedule. Everybody had to do something. They said the worst thing that happened while they were there is Stephen, one of the guys, he fell on a cliff and he broke his leg. The other boys brought him up. They used like sticks and leaves, like, you know, banana Mm -hmm. leaves, and they made a splint. They used local medicine. And he 100% healed up. It would be uh, so nuts if they I mean, just, they massaged like, because, it. Because, yeah, I know it's like a thing in the islands that you, people will like massage broken bones back into place. Yes. That just sounds I've heard. I, I, I was there when this kid fell off a back of a uh, truck. Oh, God. And he broke his arm. They had to have the person go and massage it. 
and put it like reset it and I've never heard somebody scream like that but it totally healed perfectly so they say it took a couple of months and he you know had like a scar on his leg but he was fine a lot of the families back home they had funerals because they were like they're gone right yeah he said the guy uh, Sione who they were talking to on this one mm-hmm. they said that everybody except for his family because his dad never believed for a second that he had died oh wow I know can you imagine being the one parent like everybody is like they're gone let's we need to say goodbye and the yep. one dad is like i'm not doing it it's not happening and then he was right on sunday september 11th oh a, this was a good september 11th in 1966 there was this guy peter he was a fisherman and he went by and saw smoke coming from the islands they saw him they started waving they jumped in the water they like swam towards his boat and he's like what and <laughs> he took them all back and the families were just like freaking out because they couldn't believe it. I mean, imagine how happy everybody was to see all of them come back. Reunion was a very emotional moment. Not long after they got back, they were arrested. Oh, no. <laughs> for stealing the fisherman's <laughs> boats. <laughs> yep. And, but this Awkward. guy who, who uh, rescued them, he actually was able to pay for the other guy's boat. Yeah. They claimed that he was a national hero because he found these kids by the mm-hmm. king of Tonga. Was right, like, right. you are a hero. What do you want? We'll give you anything. The quote was, thank you for rescuing six of my subjects. <laughs> <laughs> His <laughs> royal highness said, <laughs> now, is there anything I can do for you? And the captain Peter didn't have to think long. Yes, I would like to trap lobsters in these waters and start a business here but the king was like yeah whatever and so (laughs) peter returned to sydney um resigned from his father's company and commissioned a new boat so he could go back and start his business with Mm -hmm. the lobsters and he hired those guys oh the six guys they made money and they had an opportunity to go see the world beyond tonga like a bunch of them moved to australia some moved to the u.s a lot of them are still around i think four i think two have passed away and Mm -hmm. four are still alive this article that came out in on may 9th 2020 it's called the real lord of the flies what happened when six boys were shipwrecked for 15 months and it's by this dutch historian named rutger bregman and he wrote a book in june 2nd 2020 called humankind a hopeful history there's a good read synopsis it's like if one basic principle has served as the bedrock of best-selling author rutger bregman's thinking is a very progressive idea whether it was the abolishment of slavery the advent of democracy women's suffrage or the ratification of marriage equality was once considered radical and dangerous by the mainstream opinion of this time with humankind he brings that mentality to bear against one of the most entrenched ideas namely that human beings are by nature selfish and self-interested oh anyway so i guess he goes back over two hundred thousand years of human history to prove that we are evolutionary wired for cooperation rather than competition and that our instinct is to trust each other. So he pulls all these like things that have happened to people over time. And I guess this is one of the stories he came across and he talks about it. He wrote his book and then somebody was like, oh, wow, there's a story. And we haven't talked about this story for 50 years. And so then it came up in this article. But there was another article like a week later or so on May 16th. And this is in the ABC News, like the Australian ABC. Right, right, yeah. Like Australian Broadcasting Company or something like that. Yeah. And that one is titled Pacific Islanders Say Tale of Tongan Shipwreck 50 Years Ago is Not Like Lord of the Flies. And they wanted it to have more of a Tongan perspective. They say that the Dutch historian Rutger had upset some members of the Pacific Island community. They argue that the six young Tongan boys has been instead told through a colonial lens and missed the Pacific point of view. The debate was ignited after that Guardian article. So wait, are the are, are the Tongan people saying that the boys didn't cooperate with each other? They're saying that it's not Lord of the Flies. Like Lord of the Flies is a whole another thing. Like that oh, was like an I anarchy see. thing. And there were right. these, these kids that were like... British kids are from wherever. Didn't know how to even live in yeah. the islands anyway. Yeah. And these kids, the Tongan kids just lived like how they would. Exactly. From they what were, they were taught yes. and who they are as people. Yeah. They got on this island and those, you know, are also like I their see. people. They're also Tongans yeah. that were there. They're like, and they just didn't like the fact that even though the story, I guess, was told, they say they interviewed the boys and got their story, mm-hmm. but it's not coming from them, them directly. It's through someone else's interpretation. A colonial of what they lens. About. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I and I didn't read it in the way, I mean, even if you read, I haven't read the book, mm-hmm. this guy's book, and I didn't read the article in a way that 
I didn't read every bit of it. I kind of mixed it with some things that seemed like it made more sense Mm -hmm. to me. But basically, there's some people that were like, you know, you can't compare this historic novel to people in the Pacific. It just, it doesn't make any sense. And there's this Tongan storyteller. Her name is Malika Gessa Fatafehi. And she said, this story is based on Tongans. I'm Tonga and I do not relate to that story because it was told through a colonial lens. And she's like, the excerpt published in The Guardian was largely toyed from the point of view of Peter Warner, Mm. Captain Peter Warner, an Australian who found the boys who Mr. Bregman tracked down. And that guy's like, Peter Bregman's already in his 90s. And -hmm. this Dutch guy like found him and asked him, you know, all this stuff. So they're like, why didn't you talk to us? Right. Yeah. Our families and our people and get the story from us. And I think she's more upset with that author that he went to this other source. So now they're talking about making a movie. Oh, the non-Tongan people involved in this story, the guy who got the lobster boat and then this other Dutch guy, it feels like very much profiting off of a story about these boys. Yeah, I read in some part of this that he might have sold their story to make money to pay for the boat they stole. I'm not sure if that was it. Mm. But I know that the men are getting quite old. Like I said, Mm -hmm. a couple of them have passed away already. And they say, well, I would like to tell this story from my perspective. Yeah. They want to do it while they're still alive. Right. The lady, Malika, the storyteller, she's like, you know, we need to let them tell their story and tie it to Tongan culture. Mm -hmm. She said, you know, when we find other Tongans, we stick together. It's very much our value system. And it's very different to how those fictional boys would have been raised. Like the Lord of the Flies kids. She's like, we were raised to build community and it's very hard to exist outside of our community. Right. And it's true. I, I get what she's saying. I mean, either way, this story is very uplifting. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Either way, they followed the culture that they were taught. That's great. Or they survived and, and cooperated together. That's great. I think that the only reason they made the comparison was mainly for a headline. Because right. people know Lord of the Flies. They know it's a story about boys, boys on an being island. stranded on an island. Right. And it just descending into anarchy because they don't know how to live together. But it, that wasn't at all the case. Right. But not everybody knows that story, I guess. But they sure. might know the name. I don't know. And, I can totally see taking offense at the the title of the story, but I I don't know. I feel like so much news today, I don't even read the headline so much until I've read the whole story. Yeah. Like, it, I'm not going to interpret what it means by the headline because nine times out of ten, all it is is like a clickbait. And I never, through that article, read it in a way that they were saying there was ever any kind of problem. You know, I think there might be something here with that the story was sold. Right. And it should be coming from those people and i don't think it's any bad intention even by the dutch historian because it's been 50 some years and the story hasn't really been told after they were found there was a small documentary and you can watch it. it's like kind of black and white Uh and it's very short you know there's like a few things about it you can google it or youtube it or whatever Mm -hmm. and you'll see but there hasn't been any like really well written book or story or documentary about it and so maybe that's why they're just like well then nobody else is telling it so should we or i don't know and maybe they did they did actually interview a lot of the guys yeah like the the boys who are now in their 70s they say seven million people read that article and it was like huh for whatever reason whether it's that she feels like the rightful storytellers aren't being able to told their you know we don't know like the the real details of it um megan i have an organization to support let's hear it it was kind of hard to find one for this sure 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 But I am going to actually bring up an organization that's kind of near and dear to my heart Mm because I've done a lot of work with them. It's called islandconservation.org. So they actually have some projects in Tonga. Um, Island conservation focuses on removal of introduced invasive species on islands. On their webpage, they say, we work together with local communities, government management agencies, and conservation organizations on islands with the greatest potential for preventing the extinction of globally threatened species. We develop comprehensive and humane plans for the removal of invasive species, implement the removal of invasive species, and conduct research to better understand how invasive species removal changes and benefits island ecosystems and to Mm. inform future conservation actions. So their headquarters are 
are in Santa Cruz, California, but they have field offices in Chile, Ecuador, Hawaii, New Zealand, Palau, and Puerto Rico. They've been around since 1994. They say that with their partners, they have successfully restored 65 islands worldwide, meaning removed invasive species, and have benefited over 1,200 populations of uh, 504 species and subspecies. Come to Guam. (laughs) <laughs> they have been yeah. no they've been here um yeah, yeah. they've worked on cocos i think they did a oh. lot of the work there oh, okay but also they i worked with them i wrote a grant like forever never never ago like 2007 ish to them to remove some rats and um other invasive species off this one island or turtles nest they started working on it in like 2018 2019 (laughs) and i got to go out there and help out and it was really cool and do some more turtle work and then pandemic and it all stopped perfect so it's probably all gone to hell so maybe i get to go back when things get back to normal (laughs) but anyway i really think they're a great organization they have done some projects on in tonga to remove uh, invasive species one thing i didn't say about Atta is that they did and when that guy went in 1990 Mm -hmm. he did find a one rat species so rats rats so i don't know if it's still there probably Mm. once they're there they don't usually just disappear so that is my story i'm so sorry so long i was just going to tell the story of the castaways but you know i found out all that other stuff and it was so interesting i couldn't help myself castaways (laughs) we are castaways we love it we love castaway stories (laughs) but i just love it that they probably could have lived there a lot longer for sure i was gonna ask you if any of them went back i feel like you know what i mean like maybe if you were like uh, more of an introvert in the group (laughs) you're like i kind of liked it out there it's kind of sweet like you just go do your thing so megan yes jen what would you have packed in your emergency preparedness kit if you decided to run away from catholic school six tongan boys <laughs> six tongan boys and a coconut five. in a palm tree <laughs> five coconuts <laughs> um four seabirds three fluffy hens two, two tarot turtles. patches <laughs> tarot patches yeah <laughs> and uh, a fire on the beach Perfect. Done. There we go. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think I would want the knowledge those boys learned. Yeah. I remember I got a machete. I was with my host family, like sharpening the machete. Like I was there like, don't cut your fingers. I'm like, don't even worry about it. And you cut your fingers. Of course, I cut my fingers. I while they were watching my head while yeah, they, yeah mm-hmm. I cut my legs, lots of things all the, I know. every time we're in the tarot patch. But there would be like the two year old in diapers literal diapers with yeah. a machete a larger sharper, machete a larger machete sharper mm-hmm. than mine just whacking it at things yeah and and never getting hurt. someone sitting right next to him like yeah just like this whack it you know like, yeah okay just knowing how to do things without maybe ever having done them yourself all the way by yourself yeah but like knowing because you've watched everybody doing it because it's just part of life yeah and sometimes i think it would have been nice to grow up in that kind of atmosphere of like just doing not so much talking but just doing mm-hmm. there's something that i really like about that it's like my husband has all that in him right and then he's like but you have other things you're good at like demanding to speak to somebody's supervisor <laughs> or <laughs> writing a really Listen, impressive that, email. Honestly, that just comes <laughs> with the territory. You know what I mean? It just comes so naturally. Just uh, the number of times I watched my mom um, send a meal back. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's, it's ingrained. It's ingrained. It's, it's in us. And you know, I fight against it every day. <laughs> Every day. It's a constant battle. I even heard my brother a few times be on the phone, you know, complaining. Mm -hmm. It's like, can I speak to someone who's your manager? I know. My husband definitely pushes me out in front in times of need. Right. When something needs to get done. The Islander, Islander knowledge? Islander knowledge? I mean, I really... How would you package that? Honestly, you just, I... Is it like an injection? I mean, I would have had it already. Right? It's some kind of, I mean, maybe it's an external hard drive. (laughs) (laughs) Just... plug it in i don't know it's it it just yeah a booklet perhaps where you're like lick your thing finger and you're like flipping the page you're like well it says here to start a fire (laughs) the first thing you're gonna do let me just mention (laughs) that for christmas this year jen uh got a popcorn popper like Um, it's so cool it's like a retro one yeah and and just like opened it up and your husband was like you're not even gonna read the directions the book is someplace and you just hand it to me and i was like okay number one (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, just tell me what to do before I like set my house on fire. Because I'm definitely a manual reader. I mean, maybe that's what we need is an island. Yeah, just an islander manual. Yes. A manual of islander knowledge. As long as you're willing to read it. Yeah. Because I'd be like, oh, let's just do it already. I don't have time to read I would this. read it for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I would read it. And I'd be like, okay, it says all these things. Okay. Let's, let's do it. Perfect. Yeah. Islander manual. Islander manual. I can't think of anything else. At, hey, 2022. Listen. Tw- tw- 2022. I've been basically asleep on the couch for two weeks. So let's back in the swing. We are 100%. It feels good. It feels good. Enjoy. But thank you so much, Jen, for that story. I liked learning all about Atta and the Atans and yeah, it's, uh, that it's wild. Peruvian, crazy Peruvian history. I yeah. mean, uh, but knew? yeah, that was a great story. Thanks for listening. We're going to be back to once a week episodes. Yes. We're also going to have extra stuff for our Patreon. So if you'd like to become a Patreon. It's a new year. It's a new you. It's a new nature nerd you patron. <laughs> and if you would like to become a Patreon, just go to our website site click the link or you can go to our link tree and instagram and it's as easy as that just go to patreon and sign up it takes seconds it's amazing you'll become a certified and nature nerd another way you can support us is to subscribe rate and review on apple Podcasts. if you give us a five-star review we'll send you a sticker be sure to give us your address on the contact form on our website or email us at you're gonna die out there at gmail.com another way you can support is go to our website and check out our sponsors see if there's anything you'd like to order there's links you can get discounts they're all zero waste or eco-friendly businesses that support us and we love them and we're not gonna read the ads but you can go check it out be sure to follow us on instagram and twitter and wherever you get your podcast stitcher spotify all of those things click that follow button that'll help us out as well you can also send us ideas for topics that you would like to hear crazy stuff you found online you can send that to our email or dm us on instagram and until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Do you know if he has kids and if they're involved in? Did you, Mayan? Why you- do you <laughs> ask me these questions? <laughs> honestly well, i just want to know if like anybody in his family followed in his footsteps oh, look my god i'm curious <laughs> like a cat <laughs> when you're preparing anything you should always be I like should. what kind of random ass questions is jen gonna ask me right at the end of this <clears throat> or during it might have been on the side i think it was on the Come jesus on. christ <laughs> ready Tonga archipelago. I can archipelago. never. You know archipelago. I can't say that word. Archipelago. Archipelago. <laughs> archipelago. Perfect. Did I say it right. Yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> that was really good. It's a- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> More like less, less like oh at the end. What was it like a howl?